Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting edition of The S Factor. I'm your host Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net. Welcome aboard my starship. We're going to cruise around the solar system, talk about all things terrestrial and celestial right here on Yes Factor. Of course, as always, the S Factor is brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net. Well, I certainly love Marvel movies. My goodness, they do such a great job on those, bringing those characters to life on the big screen. After the rather bad ones in the early 90s, they have really turned that. They have done a complete 180 on those movies. They are spectacular. Visually, spectacular. The storytelling is spectacular. Everything. I love them. So if you follow them as well, you know the topic of the multiverse in general right now is really hot when it comes to television and movies. So why is the multiverse so popular in sci-fi at the moment? The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. Warns Doctor Strange and Spider-Man No Way Home, but it is a concept that has become rather familiar on screen. The Sorcerer Supreme's next adventure will see him navigating the wonders and dangers of the Marvel multiverse, but he isn't the only one exploring infinite realities. Several movies are diving into the multiverse. The MCU has made it clear with Loki, Spider-Man No Way Home, the upcoming Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness that the multiverse will be a recurring theme moving forward. Now the fact that this topic is so hot in Hollywood right now and can lead to really infinite situations and concepts that can lead us down different roads with familiar characters, that begs the question, what is the multiverse? What is this all about? Well, the multiverse theory suggests that our universe, with all of its hundreds of billions of galaxies and almost countless stars spanning tens of billions of light years, may not be the only one. Instead, there may be an entirely different universe, distantly separated from ours, another, and another. Indeed, there may be an infinity of universes, all with their own laws of physics, their own collection of stars and galaxies and maybe even their own intelligent civilizations. It could be that our universe is just one member of a much grander, much larger multitude of universes, a multiverse. The concept of the multiverse arises in a few areas of physics, but the most prominent example comes from something called inflation theory. Inflation theory describes a hypothetical event that occurred when our universe was very young less than a second old. In an incredibly brief amount of time, the universe underwent a period of rapid expansion, inflating, to become many orders of magnitude larger than its previous size, according to NASA. Inflation of our universe is thought to have ended about 14 billion years ago, said Helene Din, a cosmologist at Arizona State University and an expert in multiverse theory. However, inflation does not end everywhere at the same time, Deng told Live Science in an email. It is possible that as inflation ends in some region, it continues in others. Thus, while inflation ended in our universe, there may have been other, much more distant regions where inflation continued, and continues even today. Individual universes can pinch off of larger, inflating, expanding universes, creating an infinite sea of external inflation filled with numerous individual universes. In this eternal inflation scenario, each universe would emerge with its own laws of physics, 
its own collection of particles, its own arrangement of forces, and its own values of fundamental constants. This might explain why our universe has the properties it does, particularly the properties that are hard to explain with fundamental physics, such as dark matter. If there is a multiverse, then we would have random cosmological constants in different universes, and it is simply a coincidence that the one we have in our universe takes the value that we observed. Now, the biggest piece of evidence for the multiverse is that life exists, particularly intelligent life capable of making cosmological observations. Certain aspects of our universe seem special and important for supporting life, such as longevity of stars, the abundance of carbon, the availability of light for photosynthesis, and the stability of complex nuclei, said McCullen Sandora, an affiliate research scientist at the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. But all these features are typically not the case if, if you get handed a random universe. The multiverse offers one explanation for why all these features are favorable in our universe, which is that other universes exist as well, but we observe this one because it's capable of supporting complex life, Sandor said. In other words, so many things had to line up just right in our universe that the existence of life seems improbable. And if there was only one universe, it likely shouldn't have life in it. But in a multiverse, there are enough chances for life to appear in at least one universe. But this theory is not especially compelling, so most scientists remain skeptical of the multiverse idea. Many scientists have tried to find more physical, hard evidence for the multiverse's existence. For example, if a neighboring universe happened to be close to ours long ago, it may have collided with our universe, creating a detectable imprint. That imprint could be in the form of distortions in the cosmic microwave background. And that's, that's the light left over from when the universe was a million times smaller than it is today. Or in strange galaxy properties in the direction of the collision. But all of these types of searches have come up empty, so the multiverse remains hypothetical. Now, Deng is searching for evidence of the multiverse by looking for special kinds of black holes that could be artifacts of pieces of our universe that separated into their own universe via a process called quantum tunneling. If some regions of our universe separated this way, they would have left behind bubbles in our universe that would turn into these unique black holes, which may still exist today. The potential detection of these black holes can then point to the existence of a multiverse. Now, perhaps the most mind-bending implication of the multiverse is the existence of doppelgangers. If there really are an infinity of universes, but a finite number of ways to arrange particles in any individual universe, then the same patterns are bound to be repeated eventually. That would mean that at some incredible distance, there would be an exact copy of you reading an exact copy of your favorite magazine or seeing your favorite movie or playing your favorite sport. And because there would be an infinite number of universes, there would be an infinite number of these exact scenarios all happening simultaneously, according to the Institute of Physics. If this makes you feel a little uncomfortable, then perhaps it's reassuring to know that the multiverse has not been proven to exist just yet. And that was from Life Science. Think about that, folks. How do you feel about the possibility of multiple universes and multiple copies of you? 
maybe they're doing, they have different careers, have chosen different paths in life, an infinite amount. Let me know what you think. Contact me, email me, info at scienceanimated.net. That's info at scienceanimated.net. I want to know what you think about this. And you can also contact me via scienceanimated.net's contact form. You have a question about the show, question about any of these topics, topics I covered during my show, feel free to reach out to me. There's no phone calls during this radio presentation because this is a pre-recorded show. Even though it's always new, it's pre-recorded. But you can contact me nonetheless through email, and I welcome you to do that. Tiny particles of plastic have been detected in human blood for the first time a Dutch study has discovered. The study published in the journal Environment International tested 22 anonymous blood samples and found plastic particles in 80% of people tested, indicating plastic particles may be able to travel around the body and lodge themselves in organs. Enormous amounts of plastic waste is dumped in the environment each year, which researchers estimate could more than double in the next 20 years. From the 188 million tons in 2016, it was previously known that humans were consuming plastic particles through food and water, as well as just breathing it through the air, which microplastics detected in the feces of babies and adults. The implications of this new study, first reported by The Guardian, are unknown, but researchers warn microplastics can cause damage to human cells and find the new results concerning. It is certainly reasonable to be concerned, says Dick Vitek, an ecotoxologist at the Viral University Amsterdam, and lead researcher of the study, told The Guardian. The particles are there and are transported throughout the body, he said. The scientists found half the samples had PET plastic, commonly used in packaging and drink bottles, in their blood, while another third had polystyrene, used for packing food and other products. The remaining quarter contained polythylene, which is used to make plastic shopping bags. More studies are now underway to assess the implications of these findings. Now, I don't know where you may be listening to me right now. You could be local and listening to me through Cruise 92.1 WVLT, or you could be listening to the podcast and be in California. But here in New Jersey, the plastic bag ban happens on May 4th. That means on May 4th, everyone that's shopping better have their canvas bag with them. I hope I don't forget. But of course, the plastic bag and plastic pollution in general is a major problem, especially if you look at what's floating around the ocean. It's a collection of waste that is just this mass floating around the Pacific. So it is an issue, but we we use plastic in so many things in our lives that I think it's very common for the average person to just forget how much plastic we actually use in everything. And unfortunately, it's making its way into our food. Now, how bad is the plastic in our bodies? No published study has directly examined the effects of microplastics on humans, according to science journal Nature. The only available data relies on laboratory studies exposing microplastics to cells or human tissue or to animals such as mice or rats. Worryingly, mice given larger quantities of microplastics were found to have inflammation in their small intestines. For the moment, levels of microplastics in the environment are too low to affect human health, researchers have noted, but this becomes more dangerous as more plastic is dumped into the environment. Plastic production is set to double by 2040, said Joy Royale in The Guardian, founder of the charity Common Seas, 
which aims to reduce plastic in oceans. We have a right to know what all this plastic is doing in our bodies, she says. More studies have been sent out to find out health impacts of microplastics in human bodies. 80 NGOs and scientists in the UK have called on the UK government to allocate $15 million to research the effects of microplastics on human health, and the EU is funding similar studies. The big question is, what is happening in our body? Are the particles retained in the body? Are they transported to certain organs, such as getting past the brain, blood-brain barrier? And are these levels sufficiently high to trigger disease? We urgently need to fund further research so we can find out. But most crucially, the world must wean itself off the plastic on which it currently runs. Plastic takes an enormously long time to degrade, and as we continue to waste it, the more microplastics will continue to be ingested into the body in the future. We can't filter ourselves out of this mess, as Sherry Mason at the State University of New York in Fredonia previously told The Guardian, who conducted the tap water analysis. Our study indicated that even water which undergoes filtration still has plastic. It is a ubiquitous contaminant. So if we really want to solve this problem, we need to start with our daily habits, reducing consumption of this material. Now, Lexis Jackson, a marine biologist and scientist with the California chapter of the environmental advocacy organization Nature Conservatory, said to, said to Nature, the face of that crisis looks a lot different than we thought. It's not just plastic bags and soda bottles. It's all of these microplastics that you can't see with the naked eye that are pervasive in the environment. So we find ourselves in this little bit of a bind where plastics are so vital to our economy, let's face it, and our comfort when you think about the products that we enjoy every single day that are made out of plastic. It just seems like we have to find a more practical way of recycling and or making substituting plastic with chemicals that can break down. I've seen some companies, some innovative companies start to do that, making something that's commonly made out of plastic out of a biodegradable material. And that's probably going to be a big thing in the future. Actually, it is right now and moving forward. I want to thank you for joining me here on the S Factor, where it's all about science, right here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT and anytime on your favorite podcasting service. You can check me out here the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock right here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT. I want to thank everybody for listening. There's a lot more coming up. I'll be right back after this short break. to get into better shape, lose weight, have more energy, be toned, be stronger, be faster, have better endurance, well, there's a solution. Tawny Fit. Certified personal trainer Tawny Basil is the owner of Tawny Fit. And having Tawny Basil as your personal trainer can help you get the results you're looking for. Now, whether you want to go to a gym with Tawny Basil and have her by your side showing you the right way to do the exercises, coming up with the perfect plan for you with your goals in mind, with your personal goals in mind, that's one way you can do it. Also, if you don't want to leave the home, you can do training virtually with Tawny Basil. She, will, she has virtual sessions, so you don't have to leave the comfort of your home. And now she also has a facility where you can come to her in a little private gym and you can get your workout in that way. So contact Tawny Basil at tawnyfit at gmail.com. That's tawnyfit at gmail.com for rates 
And I think you had an offer, by the way, for the S-Factor folks, didn't you? With a free session if they mentioned the show? Absolutely. If we you don't mention forget that. the show, you get a free session. Um, you can reach me at 609-674-8077. Text ready. That's right, folks. I'll give you that number one more time. If you want to contact Tawny Basil, text her the message ready to 609-674-8077 or email Tawny. Her email address is tawnyfit at gmail.com. Welcome back to the S Factor, where it's all about science, right here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. My name's Chuck Shazer. I want to welcome you aboard my starship as we talk all things science. And of course, this great radio show is brought to you by my website, scienceanimated.net. If you want to check it out, it's full of very cool educational animations, all family friendly, all very exciting. Now, you want to make sure that you go to scienceanimated.net, not scienceanimated.com. That's a whole other thing. So that's like medical animations, things like that. That's not me. I'm about educational entertainment. So the .net makes all the difference. Scienceanimated.net. Be on the lookout for Science Animated NFTs. They're coming soon. You can check that out through the website. And also follow me on social media. Facebook.com slash science animated, Twitter.com slash science animated, and now at science animated on TikTok. And of course, the easiest way to get to my YouTube channel is through my website, scienceanimated.net. Subscribe, smash that like button, do the same thing on all social media. If you would, please share my content. That would mean a lot to me if you would do that. Every little bit helps. And there's also a support us tab on the website if you feel so inclined to help support the science animated world in that way as well. Let's get right back into the science news here. Now, as you know, I must talk about Elon Musk in some degree almost every month, but that's only because the guy is so incredibly innovative and he is, he is so wealthy. He has the power. He has the money to, to pursue these technological breakthroughs, these scientific breakthroughs. Well, get this. This is from Business Insider. Elon Musk says people might download their personalities onto a humanoid robot Tesla is making, which he says could be in moderate volume production next year. Do you believe this? Elon Musk has high hopes for a future with humanoid robots. Humanoid robots are happening, he said. The rate of advancement of AI is very rapid. Musk shared his thoughts during a recent conversation with the CEO of Insider's parent company, Axel Springer, at Tesla's factory in Fremont, California. He spoke about potential future uses for Optimus, a human robot Tesla is making. Optimus is a general-purpose sort of worker droid, the Tesla CEO said. The initial role must be in work that is repetitive, boring, or dangerous, basically work that people don't want to do. When asked if Optimus could feature in people's daily lives, such as by lending a hand around the house, Musk concurred, saying it'd be a general-focused humanoid. He said he thinks it's possible that people may one day be able to download their brain capacities into an Optimus. We could download the things that we believe make ourselves so unique, he said. 
Now, of course, if you're not in that body anymore, that is definitely going to be a difference. But as far as preserving our memories, our personality, I think we could do that. Now, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. We've talked about the importance of memories before on the S-Factor here. The memory center of the brain, the hippocampus, how incredibly important that is. As I've said before many times, we are our memories. It is so true. And can you imagine ability to download your memories onto a humanoid robot? So essentially that would be, in a sense, immortality. Not immortality as you never dying, you, your, your physical body never passing away. But certainly the essence of who you are is your memory. So that staying around in a humanoid form so your future family can can ask you a question and withdraw from your memories and i guess it would kind of answer the way you would that's unbelievable now musk also spoke to the robot's bipedal design humanity has designed the world to interact with a bipedal humanoid with two arms and ten fingers he said so if you want to have a robot fit in and be able to do things that humans can do it must be approximately the size and shape and capability. Musk said he thinks Tesla will have something pretty good at the prototype level this year and might have at least a moderate volume production around the end of 2023. He first unveiled the 5'8", 125-pound Tesla bot during a company AI event in August of last year. This past January, he called it the most important product development we're doing this year. Besides Optimus, Musk spoke about a range of other topics in the interview. He shared his thoughts on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, saying we cannot let Putin take over Ukraine, and add that he thinks Putin is significantly richer than him, even though Musk is the world's richest person on record. That's from Business Insider. Again, this is another hot topic. What do you think about something like that? What do you think about a technological innovation like that? Transferring your memories. I want to know what you think, America. Email me, info at scienceanimated.net. That's info at scienceanimated.net. Earlier, I talked about the multiverse, what it is. What about this kind of universe? Our universe may have a twin that runs backward in time. An anti-universe running backwards in time could explain dark matter and cosmic inflation. Now, this is a wild new theory that suggests that this other anti-universe could be running backward in time prior to the Big Bang. The idea assumes that the early universe was small, hot, and dense, and so uniform that time looks symmetric going forward and backward. If true, the new theory means that dark matter isn't so mysterious. It's just a new flavor of a ghostly particle called a neutrino that can only exist in this kind of universe. And the theory implies that there would be no need for a period of inflation that rapidly expanded the size of the young cosmos soon after the Big Bang. If true, then future experiments to hunt for gravitational waves or to pin down the mass of neutrinos could answer once and for all whether this mirror anti-universe exists. That word mirror, followed by anti-universe, reminds me of the mirror episode of Star Trek. Is there any Star Trek fans out there? What the Mirror Enterprise was, was another universe where the Mirror universe was, you know, these explorers were evil. They were pirates. They were, so the crew of the Enterprise and the Enterprise's mission was nefarious. It wasn't just go boldly and explore things. It was go, go boldly and conquer. So physicists have identified a set of fundamental symmetries in nature 
The three most important symmetries are charge. If you flip the charges of all particles involved in an interaction to their opposite charge, you'll get the same interaction. Parity. If you look at the mirror image of an interaction and get the same result in time. If you run an interaction backward in time, it looks the same. Now, physical interactions obey most of these symmetries most of the time, which means there are sometimes violations. But physicists have never observed the violation of a combination of all three symmetries at the same time. If you take every single interaction observed in nature and flip the charges, take the mirror image and run it backward in time, those interactions behave exactly the same. In a new paper recently accepted for publication in the journal Annals of Physics, scientists propose extending this combined symmetry Usually this symmetry only applies to interactions, the forces and fields that make up the physics of the cosmos. But perhaps if this is such an incredibly important symmetry, it applies to the whole universe itself. In other words, this idea extends this symmetry from applying to just the actors of the universe. Now we live in an expanding universe. This universe is filled with lots of particles doing lots of interesting things. And the evolution of the universe moves forward in time. If we, extect, if we extend the concept of CPT symmetry to our entire cosmos, then our view of the universe can't be the entire picture. Instead, there must be more. To preserve the CPT symmetry throughout the universe, there must be a mirror image cosmos that balances out our own. This cosmos would have all opposite charges that we have be flipped in the mirror and run backward in time. Our universe is just one of a twin taken together the two universes obey CPT symmetry. But an invisible particle that floods through the universe and only interacts via gravity sounds a lot like dark matter. The researchers found that the conditions imposed by obeying CPT symmetry would fill our universe with right-handed neutrinos enough to account for the dark matter. Now this could be something that explains dark matter. This will be interesting to follow. Now this next story is about Venus, and if you have not checked out my YouTube channel or scienceanimated.net, please do so because there is a really cool animation featuring Venus. Now, after the moon, Venus is the second brightest natural object in the night sky. Yet this planet is covered by reflective clouds that naked eyes and optical telescopes can't penetrate. With the Venetian surface hidden from view, generations of fiction writers used to speculate like crazy about the mysterious terrain beneath those clouds. For his part, Tarzan creator Edgar Rice Burroughs portrayed Venus as a world with lush forests and cities in a 1934 pulp novel. But then science intervened. The idea that Venus is habitable pretty much imploded during the Cold War. In 1956, radio telescope observations showed that the planet had surface temperatures in excess of 618 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, that's a little steamy. That sounds like Florida in the summertime. <laughs> if you've ever been down there, it's hotter than blazes. Now, believe it or not, those readings from 56 were kind of low. We now know that the average surface temperature on Venus is a blistering 864 degrees Fahrenheit. As a matter of fact, it's the hottest planet in our solar system, even though Mercury is closer to the sun. Did you know that? On the face of Venus, the atmospheric pressure is crushingly extreme and lead would melt into a puddle. Hellish as this place sounds, it actually has a lot in common with Earth. The two worlds are quite similar in size. Earth has a surface area of around 197 million square miles, 
So by comparison, Venus's surface area is closer to 177 square miles. And if you were to stuff Venus inside our planet, it would occupy roughly 86% of Earth's total volume. Venus has Earth beaten in some key regards, though. Earth displays a slight midsection bulge, being wider around its equator than it is from one pole to the other. Conversely, Venus is an almost perfect sphere. Now, why is that? Well, when a massive celestial body, like a star or planet, spins quickly around its axis, the centrifugal force will give it more dramatic bulge around the equator. However, Venus has an ultra-slow rotation speed. It takes the equivalent of 243 Earth days for Venus to complete one full rotation on its axis, and just 225 Earth days to finish a new lap around the Sun. So in other words, a day on Venus lasts longer than a Venetian year does. And get this, from our self-centered perspective, Venus spins backward. Most planets in this solar system rotate from west to east. Uranus and Venus buck the trend. On those two worlds, the sun appears to rise in the west and set in the east. Now no one knows how that came to pass. Astronomers think Venus used to move in a counterclockwise direction like Earth. But at some point, its spin might have reversed. Alternatively, perhaps the sun's gravitational influence or a collision with a large object caused the entire planet to flip upside down. Now, in December 1962, Venus became the first planet to get a flyby visit from a man-made spacecraft. Exploiting a brief window of opportunity, NASA's Mariner 2 probe studied this world up close, from distances as near as 21,606 miles. The onboard instruments taught us a great deal. Mariner 2 confirmed that Venus doesn't have an Earth-like magnetic field, and it recorded surface temperatures of 3 to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. By the time Mariner 2 launched, scientists already knew there were high levels of CO2 in the Venetian atmosphere, and that composition should give us pause. Now, carbon dioxide makes up a whopping 96% of Venus's atmosphere. Scientists attribute this to a runaway greenhouse effect. Theoretically, the planet used to have a more temperature climate that could have remained stable for billions of years. Back then, oceans of liquid water may have covered its surface although we are not sure about that. Now, things changed as our growing sun became hotter. Any oceans would have evaporated during this time, and astronomers think much of the carbon in Venetian rocks leached out and traveled skyward. While the atmosphere changed, it got better at trapping heat, creating a vicious cycle that worsened the problem. Inevitably, the temperature spiked. Now, since our own planet has a major greenhouse gas problem, Venus could offer some important insights regarding climate change, but sending probes to explore it has always presented major challenges. On Venus, the surface gravity is comparable to what you and I experience on Earth. What's not comparable is the atmospheric pressure, which is about 92 times greater on the face of Venus than it is here. 92 times greater, that's hard to even imagine. Faced with extreme temperatures and high pressure, it's no wonder man-made objects don't last long in a planet's environment. Now, when the Soviets landed a probe on Venus in 1982, it stayed intact for a record-setting 127 minutes before it was destroyed. Brief though their visits were, these probes captured the first-ever photographs of the Venetian surface. NASA's Magellan spacecraft provided future insights as it mapped 98% of the planet's face. 
And all in all, Venus boasts more than 16,000 volcanoes and volcanic features. But we do not know if any of these are still active. Highland plateaus, deep canyons, and meteorite impact craters have also been discovered there. Although Venus is about 4.6 billion years old, its crust is thought to be much younger, with an estimated age of just 3 to 600 million years. Now, Venus lacks tectonic plates as we know them on Earth. Now, nevertheless, the, some geologists think upwellings of magma occasionally cycle sections of the crust. Now, Venus mesmerized our ancestors. Bright and beautiful, the cloud-adorned planet derives its name from the Roman goddess of love. Ancient mathematicians mapped its progress across the sky, and Galileo took detailed notes about its moon-like phases. Did you know all of those interesting facts about Venus? And of course, that is true. On Earth, we protrude out when you get closer to the equator. So if you ever thought to yourself, my goodness, why in the heck is it so hot in Florida, for example, or South America? Well, that's because the Earth actually bulges out at the center. So you are a little bit closer to the sun when you're in those regions. But here we found out that Venus is actually on record as being the hottest planet in the solar system, even hotter than Mercury. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed our trip to Venus. Doesn't it feel much better to be on Earth? Much more cozy here, isn't it? <laughs> You're listening to The S-Factor, where it's all about science. I'm your host, Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net. I'll be right back with more cool science news after this time out. Oh, what great music. Welcome back to the S-Factor, where it's all about science. My name is Chuck Shazer. Welcome back to the show. We're going to continue on with the science news. But before we do that, if you want to reach out to me, please do so via email. Since this is a pre-recorded show, email me at info at scienceanimated.net. That's info at scienceanimated.net. And if you want to check out my website that has a array of fun interesting educational animation go to your address bar on any browser in your phone on your laptop desktop go to your address bar and type in scienceanimated.net there you'll see all of the science animated productions science animated the human body which is a 40 minute dvd or stream that you can purchase that would help support the show you can check out the support us tab there also and you can find me on social media Facebook.com slash science animated, Twitter.com slash science animated, and at science animated on TikTok. Got some really cool animation there. Scienceanimated.net, I just updated that site very, very recently with new content, a new look. Check it out, scienceanimated.net. Now let's move on to another cool science story. Now, zombies are really big in pop culture right now. I personally don't understand why it's not my thing, but I'm not going to hate on it. If you enjoy it, that's cool. So zombies are part of this next story. This is about how a virus turns caterpillars into zombies doomed to climb to their deaths. Higher and higher still, the cotton ball worm moth caterpillar climbs its tiny body, ceaselessly scaling leaf after leaf, reaching the top of a plant, it will die 
facilitating the spread of the virus that steered the insect there. One virus behind this deadly ascent manipulates genes associated with caterpillar's vision. As a result, the insects are more attracted to sunlight than usual. Researchers report online May, March 8th in Molecular Ecology. The virus involved in this caterpillar takeover is a type of baculovirus. These viruses may have been evolving with their insect hosts for 200 million to 300 million years. Baculoviruses can infect more than 800 insect species, mostly the caterpillars of moths and butterflies. Once infected, the hosts exhibit treetop disease, compelled to climb before dying and leaving their elevated infected cadavers for scavengers to feast upon. The clever trick of these viruses have been known for more than a century. How they turn caterpillars into zombies, doomed to ascend to their own deaths, wasn't understood. This is some nasty virus. Now, previous research suggested that infected caterpillars exhibit greater photoaxis, meaning they're more attracted to light than uninfected insects. Now, there's a team that confirmed this in a laboratory using cotton ball worm moth caterpillars infected with the baculovirus called here NPH. The researchers compared infected and uninfected caterpillars positions in glass tubes surrounding a climbing mesh under an LED light. Uninfected caterpillars would wander up and down the mesh, but would return to the bottom before pupating. That behavior makes sense because in the wild, this species develops into adults underground, but infected hosts would end up dead at the top of the mesh. The higher the source of light, the higher infected hosts climbed. The team moved to the horizontal plane to confirm that the hosts were responding to light rather than gravity, placing caterpillars in a hexagonal box with one of the side panels illuminated. By the second day after infection, host caterpillars crawled to the light about four times as often as the uninfected. When the researchers surgically removed infected caterpillars' eyes and put the insects in the box, the blinded insects were attracted to the light a quarter as often as unaltered infected hosts. That suggested that the virus was using a caterpillar's vision against itself. The team then compared how active certain genes were in various caterpillar body parts in infected and uninfected larvae. Detected mostly in the eyes, two genes for opsins, the light-sensitive proteins that are fundamental for vision, were more active after an infection with the virus, and so was another gene associated with vision called TRPL. It encodes for a channel in cell membranes involved in the conversion of light into electrical signals. When the team used the gene editing tool CRISPR, to shut off the ospin genes in the TRPL and infected caterpillars, the number of hosts attracted to the light in the box was cut roughly in half. Their height at depth on the mesh was also reduced. Baculoviruses appear capable of commandeering the genetic architecture of caterpillar vision, exploiting an ancient importance of light for insects. Light can cue crucial biological processes in insects from directing their developmental timing to setting their migration routes. These viruses were already known to be master manipulators in other ways, tweaking their host's sense of smell, molting patterns in the programmed death of cells. The new research shows that the viruses manipulate yet another physiological host process, vision perception. Now there's still a lot to learn about this visual hijacking. It's unknown, for instance, which of the virus's genes are responsible for turning caterpillars into sunlight-chasing zombies in the first place. 
Now, what do you think about that? These viruses mean business. Down to the genetic level to alter a caterpillar's behavior in such a way to lead it to its own death. That's just unbelievable. And that was from sciencenews.org. I want to thank you for joining me today on the S Factor, where it's all about science. My name is Chuck Shazer. You're always welcome here, whether it's here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT, the first Saturday of the month at 1 o'clock, or anytime on your favorite podcasting service. Just type in the S Factor Podcast, and I'll pop right up. Or you can find me, of course, the best way, scienceanimated.net. Go up to your browser and type in scienceanimated.net. That'll take you to everything science animated. The collection of these shows in podcast form that I've been doing for over two years now, there's all kinds of topics. It's wide-ranging, always exciting, always fun, and you can check out the very best in science animation on my website as well. And stay tuned for NFTs. You can own a piece of Science Animated, not just the DVD or the stream Science Animated Human Body, but NFTs will be available soon. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for supporting the show. Until next time, stay well and stay curious. This is Chuck Shazer of The S Factor and ScienceAnimated.net. See you next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.